Welcome back to From the Ground Up with Mark Weller. I'm Matt Rienzo here with my good friend and co-host Mark Weller. What's up, Mark? How you doing? What's happening? Nothing but good stuff over here, Matt. Uh, we have a really exciting show today, and uh, I'm really excited about everything going on at uh, at our company right now. But uh, it's my favorite time of year. It's the holiday season, and I'm uh, really enjoying myself, seeing friends and family, and uh, have a great time. Uh, we had a great episode recently with Malcolm Johnson of Langdon Park Capital. Hopefully you caught that one. If not, go back and take a listen. Uh, Mark, you know, we've had a good run uh, on this show of guests with sports backgrounds who've really pivoted to be successful in business or just in life in general. And and I have to say this, uh, no offense to Ryan Keel, Alex Smith, or Malcolm Johnson, but this one may take the cake for us so far. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Today we have a baseball legend uh, who really needs no introduction, but I'll introduce him anyways. He's a 19-time All-Star, two-time AL MVP, two-time All-Star game MVP. Played 26, 32 consecutive games over a legendary 20 20- one-year career with the Baltimore Orioles. By now, I'm sure everybody guesses. Uh, we, we know who we have on today. We have <laughs> Andy Cal Murray. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Andy Murray, welcome. We, we, have, we, have, we, have, we have Cal Ripken, and I, I just want to say something. Cal Ripken Jr., I just want to say something. I started when I moved to Maryland. There was no baseball team. I lived around Potomac, and I moved to Maryland. There was no baseball team in D.C., so I was immediately, when I moved here when I was 15, there was a pro baseball team. I became an Orioles fan. Obviously, you were there. So I was originally a fan, and then uh, later in life, I was lucky enough to get to know you uh, professionally and as a citizen uh, post your career, and I've gotten to know you and now can call you a friend. And just uh, just really fun for me to go through my childhood, uh, kind of watching you uh, and, 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 and knowing you and then knowing you now like I do. And it's an honor and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Yeah, so let's officially welcome Cal Ripken Jr. to the show. Cal, welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, it's interesting uh, now when I hear an introduction or when they start reading my stats, uh, you know, and trying to um, paint a picture of who I was <laughs> in some ways. Um, you kind of go down memory memory lane. Uh, the 19-time All-Star thing is, uh, was interesting because that's one of the things you take uh, great pride in is being elected to the All-Star game every single year. And the only one I missed was my very first year. I got off to a 3-for-5 uh, start opening day, hit a home run and a double, and I thought I had, I had arrived. Mm-hmm. And then I went 4 for my next 63. So I was 7-for-68, batting about 128. Thought I was going to get sent back. But uh, Earl Weaver put his arm around me, where most people don't don't uh, believe who know Earl Weaver that he was uh, empathetic that way. Mm-hmm. But he put his arm around me and said, "Look, you proved that you can do it down there. You just need to prove to throw it, uh, to do it up here, and I'm not going to send you down." And so that gave me uh, you know some stability to write myself, and I uh, went on to be the rookie of the year. But uh, most of the action happened in the second half, and so I wasn't uh, voted in for the All Star game. But uh, that, that's one that I'm very proud of. Being was your confidence sh- was shook a little bit after that after that run in the well, beginning of your first season? Oh, for sure, because you, you don't know if uh, you're gonna you're gonna level out at the big leagues. You, you uh, had success in uh, A ball, Double A, Triple A, and you think the next step is the big leagues. And uh, there's a lot of people that can't cut it. They can do it at Triple A yeah. and they can't cut it. So until you get over the hump, so you can say. Yeah, uh, I'm good enough to play here, and yeah. uh, and it's a confidence thing. But I will tell you, your confidence can go up and down. Even if you have a multi-year contract and you uh, you have all the security in the world, um, when you're not hitting uh, and people are getting you out, you feel like you're the worst hitter in the league. And yeah, uh, and some some of the best hitters or most consistent hitters are ones that don't allow themselves to spiral down. You know, they stop it really quickly and they say, okay. 
I'm going to work on this. Tomorrow's going to be a new day. They're more optimistic. But uh, some of the ones that uh, are streaky type players are the ones that when things are going well, they tear it up. But as soon as something goes wrong, they start spiraling down to a, to a long slump. So um, I'm happy to say that I was more of the first one that, uh, that Qu- I was able to get rid of Question for you. How much is psychological versus physical, like needed adjustments in physically versus psychological when you're in a situation like that? Well, I think there's two areas. There's, there's the physical side. When you play 162, you get, uh, you get tired. And even if you played 140 or 130, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're doing it every single day. You come to the ballpark. Um, there are going to be days when you have, you're nicked up a little bit or you're tired or your, uh, your focus is not as good. Um, sometimes it starts um, psychologically. All of a sudden you say, I'm tired. Then you feel like you have to cheat in a mechanical sense to get to the fastball. And then you start you know, getting out, outside of the way you hit. So I think it goes both ways. Um, you could have a physical problem you know, with your mechanics. And may, maybe I'm wrapping my bat too far around my, on my head. And so I'm really long. And somebody needs to tell me that you know, don't do that. And sure. then I, I correct that. And then all of a sudden I'm hitting again. But sometimes it starts with... Uh, in between the ears. Yeah. And, uh, and I would think that the stronger you are mentally, the better chance you have. It's such a unique sport in that you're at the plate by yourself facing the pitcher. How much of that, and that's unlike many sports. I mean, golf, you're hitting by yourself, and wrestling, it's one-on-one and things of that sort. But baseball is a team sport, but it's really individual in that nature. How much does that go into it and the psyche and the, the mental? Is that is that something that baseball players think about and and deal with yeah there's all kinds of competitions within the competition so i mean your team is playing the other team and trying to win and you're trying to play collectively together you're trying to execute together so you make all the plays so you give yourself the best chance to win but when you're standing uh, at home plate you're competing against that pitcher it's him against you and they say it's one of the hardest things to do in all of a sport and uh having picked up golf a little bit (laughs) You know, and me feeling the frustration of golf because the ball just sits there and uh, it depends upon whether you have a good swing on it or not. It's, it's all on you. I know the lies sometimes uh, will affect your, the quality of your swing. But in baseball, that pitcher is trying not to give you a good pitch. So there's, there are times when you have to say, that pitcher pitched me really tough. He made pitches, uh, didn't give me much to hit, and so I got to tip my hat to him and try to get him the next time. So, again, um, you're, you're succeeding as a hitter three out of ten times if you're great. And you're failing seven out of ten times. So you, you definitely yep. have to learn how to deal with failure and kind of keep the uh, each at bat sort of separate. And I always thought the best thing uh, you could do was have a really good game plan. If, if I'm coming to the plate and I'm facing Roger Clemens and I know Roger's going to pitch me fastballs in or breaking balls early and fastballs in late, then i got to go up there and decide, do I want to take the breaking ball away from him or do I want to you know look for that fastball in? And even if I'm 100% wrong – and I have, a, I have a plan. I feel good when I go back to the plate. The worst place to be is being half right. So that means uh, I'm halfway looking for a fastball and I'm halfway looking for a curveball. So I'm not on time for the fastball and, and uh, my timing's off. The Missing break. everything. So, this so. sounds like life. Baseball's yeah, a lot does. like life, pretty much the whole thing. That's amazing. So uh, just talking about, your, you know, you played your whole career here in Baltimore. And, uh, you know, I know you're obviously from Baltimore. You're from the Maryland area and so on. Where's the, where's the franchise headed right now? Where, where are the Orioles headed? What's your, what's your opinion on where we're at and where we're going? Well, I hope they're, uh, you know, getting through a uh, rebuilding process. Um, I went through a couple of nasty real rebuilding processes. Uh, one included firing my dad. You know, he was 0-6 uh, as a manager, and they fired him. Uh, and I was a free agent at the end of that year, so I thought I wasn't going to play for the Orioles anymore. I thought we had changed. 
But I realized that I was young enough to get through the rebuilding process, and it was important for me to play in my hometown where I, where I wanted to play. I wanted that sort of stability in my life. But the rebuilding processes are nasty processes to go through because um, you go through uh, you know the rest of the league, you've you, you got a big league uniform on, and you're not uh, matching up with the other teams uh, as well as you can, and you're losing a lot. So you have to have patience, and you have to have uh, a mindset of development. And it seems like the Orioles now, they've drafted pretty well. They've uh, put together um, a good group of guys. Last year, I think they overachieved. It wasn't expected for them to, uh, to, to have a chance to compete for the playoffs. And towards the end of the year, they were pretty close. Um, they got some young all-star type players that are, really came into their, to their own. I think uh, 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 Rushman, the catcher, the uh, young kid that uh, finished second in the rookie of the year voting, um, I thought he made a huge difference in the uh, in the overall pitching staff because if you have somebody behind the plate that not only physically can catch and block balls and throw and do those sorts of things, if you have somebody that can guide you through a game, you're going to have a game plan, but you can make adjustments pitch to pitch and you can recognize those adjustments, then you have, you, you have something that can help all the pitchers. And I think the pitching staff really surprised everybody last year. So I'm hopeful that uh, that we're, we're coming out of the rebuilding process and uh, – some of those draft picks, especially on the mound, those good arms that are down in the minor leagues, can start to blossom. And then, because the game, the name of the game still is pitching. Uh, pitching is the first line of defense. That's right. You know, and uh, it's not the guys necessarily with the gloves behind. They play a role. But if uh, the pitcher hits the end of the bat or hits the fat part of the bat and keeps it away from the sweet spot, then the, those guys with the gloves can make the plays. And day in and day out, you need that pitcher to keep you in the ball game so you have a chance to win. And, and the Orioles did a nice job there. And, and so I'm knocking on wood. I was, uh, they were a fun team to watch. So uh, um, I'm looking forward to, uh, to the improvement next year. And my expectations are going to be a little higher. That's excellent. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and Cal, you've stayed so loyal to Baltimore. Uh, generally, you've stayed local. I know you travel all over the place, but tell us about your love for Baltimore in the area. Yeah, I mean, I grew up a kid in Aberdeen, which is about 30 miles outside of Baltimore, up 95. You know, uh, I think we have a landmark now when you go up 95 towards, uh, towards uh, New York or towards Philadelphia. Absolutely. You see our stadium on the left-hand side, which uh, um, we have a, a lot of pride in that we were able to uh, – to bring minor league baseball to, to that area. But uh, um, growing up so close and my dad being in uh, the Orioles organization, the first 14 years of my life, he was a minor league manager and he worked his way up and he became a big league coach. And he was there for, I don't know, 35, 35 years or so. Um, I was an Oriole fan. And so uh, I love Brooks Robinson. I wanted to be Brooks Robinson. And uh, lucky for me, I had the chance to, to really, uh, um, have the talent in, in order to pursue the uh, dream that I had, and I was able to make it. So, um, you know, most kids don't get a chance to make the big leagues and let alone play for the team that they want to play for. So I, I was lucky in a lot of respects, and, and I established myself. Granted, sometimes you have to neg negotiate your contract a little earlier. You have to massage your uh, um, your career so that you can stay there because uh, it could have been easy. They could have sent me packing uh, when they went through a rebuilding process and saying, we're not going to be good for a while. Um, why do we need him? And so I was able to, uh, uh, to cement myself in the middle of that, uh, that lineup. Do you, do you think you would have been able to stay with the same team like you did in the current day? Um, I think they're much quicker now to make those decisions and move you on. Um, I think uh, in my case, I was happy that uh, they saw um, these added values, and the added values being a kid from the hometown. You could market around, around me. I was young enough to withstand the rebuilding process and, 
And uh, as they develop players, I, I could be part of that picture. But I think now they make quicker decisions on uh, on players um, money-wise, uh, and uh, and they want they want to get something back um, without losing a guy to free agency. So they make quicker decisions on where where they are, um, whether they're a contending team, whether they're not. And if they're in a rebuilding team, they don't mind just breaking it all the way down to um, to to the very. Uh, uh, grassroots of the minor leagues and then saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to grow from there. Mm-hmm. So switching gears a little bit, you know, I've been really fortunate to sit on the Cal Ripken senior board and it's been an honor. It's been four or five years now. Um, I don't sit on many boards, quite frankly. I, I, I choose ones that are very much aligned with what I, what I, what I'm trying to achieve in the communities that I work in as well. So it's, it's just been an incredible journey. I've met so many great people and gotten to know you, very well through the process. Tell us a little bit about the foundation. Yeah, I mean, um, thank you for sitting on our board, uh, by the way. I mean, one of the things about our foundation that I think is really, really good is that we don't have this big ego that we're the only ones that know how to help kids. If you want to help kids, um, uh, let's have a conversation. Let's help kids together. And I think that's the spirit of uh, what the foundation has turned out to be, a very partnering organization. And the more you partner, uh, the more kids you're able to affect. So we started the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation when I lost dad. Dad died of lung cancer back in 99. He was only 63 years old. And that's a little frightening to me because I just turned 62. And so you start to think uh, I'm at a place in my life now where, you know, you know dad in a year uh, was gone. But we tried to figure out how do we bring tribute to dad's life? How do we capture his legacy? And one of dad's uh, things that we really um, we valued about him was he used baseball to get in front of kids um, to, to help them, to give them a choice. And, and I don't know why he did it or why he started to do it. Um, I, I suspect he lost his dad when he was 10, and he became the dad of the house um, at 10 years old. And so just think about that, working at different places, taking care of your mom. You know, you had to grow up really fast. And I think he, he, has a, he had a special infinity for kids that don't have that sort of influence in their lives. And so he was a father-like figure in the minor leagues. He was a father-like figure when he went out to these do, doing these clinics to uh, these different kids that didn't have uh, fathers and, and, and helped direct them in, in a positive direction. So we, we decided to do just that. It wasn't, it wasn't rocket science by any means. We were using what dad did um, to get in front of kids and using the name the name was uh, is a good way to uh, to, to to get help um, and get some attention for what you're doing uh, and and ultimately gather more people to help. Yeah. And we built a really we built a really exceptional board, which is really the success of uh, the foundation. And it's it's a it's a nationwide board. It's yeah. a, a range of people in different occupations and professions, but all passionate about the same thing, which is helping kids. Yeah, it's all over the country, and uh, you know, I'm guessing we have 35 board members now. And it was interesting, the success we had early, we started following their influence back to their own parts of the country, which was a good model. We built uh, these youth development parks, these fields that we call outdoor classrooms, where we have our programming that kids can actually go outside and, uh, and be productive. And we don't care if they play baseball or football on the fields, we just want them to use the fields and, uh, and not be dragged away from a, you know, a positive environment and uh, to, to a negative one because that's the choice that many of these kids have that's right. you know, during, in, their, in their areas that they're growing up in. It's fascinating work, and we've been fortunate to be around it for a few years now, um, you know, helping with some fundraisers and things of that sort. And, and so I would just want to make a couple plugs for the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation. You know, you've 
at this point completed 112 youth development parks, uh, multi-purpose or baseball turf fields, uh, 26 different states, giving kids a clean and safe place to play and learn, um, which we all can agree on that as uh, one of the greatest things that anyone could contribute to society is helping the youth. Um, you know, last year you dedicated your 100th field in Cherry Hill in Baltimore, which we were honored to be a part of and to help that fundraising effort. Um, talk about the fields in particular and just the impact that they have in those neighborhoods on the children. Yeah, it's an interesting story, um, and we probably need to get to, to STEM uh, curriculum as well, because uh, there's no way we thought we were going to get into to, to that sort of curriculum or be able to help in that area. But uh, we started with programs. We started helping kids one one at a time, and uh, and all of a sudden we had an opportunity to uh, to build fields. And uh, you know, I think the first first idea that came to us was uh, Doris Buffett, Warren Buffett's sister, um, calls us up and said, "We'll give you a million dollars if you raise a million dollars." You know, so uh, that was a, a challenge. We said, of course we can do that. And so, but she goes, I want to build fields. And so that's, it planted the idea in our heads because a lot of our programming that we were successful with, there was, uh, there weren't safe places for them to actually do the programming. And so these fields, this idea of building fields really became a nice outdoor safe classroom um, for these kids. And uh, so we, we were, we turned out to be very good at it. I think our, our first one was right at the site of uh, Memorial Stadium, in which I played 10 years. I, played I saw you play years. there when I was a kid. Me and my dad used to go up there. And there so was no you, team in D.C. Do you remember that White House that was out in center field? Like no, it was Jim, too long ago, but okay. Jim, <laughs> Jim, Jim Palmer used to pitch every Sunday day game there because he threw over the top. And the backdrop, the White House was above the backdrop of the trees out there, and it was very difficult for them to pick the ball up. So he had this unbelievable record on Sunday afternoons. But if you go to That's our cool. to our – Youth Development Park now, that's on the same exact location where Home Plate is the same exact location. You can look out and still see that white house. That's unbelievable. Out in the background. That's so cool. for me personally, that was a really special uh, one. But, but we built these fields. And, uh, you know, at one point we had a board member, um, Frank Kelly. Uh, he said, uh, you know, we need, a, we need a goal. Let's build 50 fields in five years. And we, and we all looked at him going, are you nuts? You know, uh, that, the you know, Kellys are nuts. That's yeah. A, that's almost, <laughs> that's almost impossible. They're good kind of nuts. Yeah, yeah, I tell yeah, you exactly. what, we had our 50, 50th field done, um, in four and a half years. And so it was an amazing, uh, run. We, uh, we got very good at, uh, doing it. And, uh, now we're up to 112, which provides, and they're beautiful, beautiful fields. One of the, one of the things, and you guys would understand this from a real estate standpoint, the, uh, they, these fields have become transformational to the areas that they're in. I remember I was on uh, um, Habitat for Humanity. I went on a couple of houses. I uh, was in Nashville one time, you know, uh, and we were uh, pounding uh, nails into uh, different houses. And uh, I kept looking at them and saying, we can make the difference in one house here, you know, while we're doing it. I said, but there's so many other ones that, that need it here. And they said, the beauty of this is watch what happens. Everyone comes over and starts asking, what are you doing? How do you do it? And uh, I remember we were sitting there eating lunch and a woman got off her porch and started raking up an area that hadn't been raked for, you know, 10 or 12 years. Uh, and she, and I said, is that what you mean? This sort of attitude that comes out of doing it, you're kind of, everybody gets motivated. And we found that these fields, these synthetic fields, these beautiful fields, the areas around the fields have gotten uh, much better as well. So that, that was oh, unexpected. Great but it, uh, it's yeah. really a, a, an added bonus. That's very cool. And, and you teased it, uh, and I was going to follow along with this question, but you've also 
opened 261 STEM centers in 19 states, giving kids an opportunity to engage in science, technology, engineering, math activities, all things of that sort. Really an awesome, awesome initiative. Uh, this year at the Oysters and Crabs with Cal event uh, that we hosted, we raised money to, to help. By the way, Cal, did you have fun? Is my oh, I had a great time. All the fundraisers you do is Oysters and Crabs with Cal. <laughs> it's got to be near the, the most fun. I like easiest. to eat. I like my crabs. I yes, like I my uh, oysters. So, Any fundraiser uh, where you can have a short program and just sit down and eat crabs for the rest of the time, program. that's pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, you, know, you know, as a Marylander, and I think most uh, people get nowadays, everybody likes to go eat them at a restaurant, which is good because you yeah. leave the mess there. But in, in when I was growing up, a bushel of crabs was a food gathering um, oh, opportunity. Yeah. Totally. You would go grab a, a gather and you'd bring people over to your house and uh, and you'd be having an event around the crabs. No and doubt. So that was uh, part of my childhood. So I can sit down and eat crabs for hours. When we came up with that event idea, I remember saying we were in the office. I was like, crabs with cows. Like, it's so easy. This is the biggest layup of all time. He's as Maryland as he gets. Crabs are as Maryland as they get. Right, Matt? It's been great. It's been a lot of fun, and we've raised a lot of money for, for the foundation. So yeah. it's, it's been a great uh, situation. But So let me ask, how did you switch from stem, from fields to STEM? What went into that, and how has that been well, going? Well, we didn't switch. We just added it. And so it was interesting. You know, there's, there's a connection between the fields in STEM. Like, um, I know we had a, a, an opportunity down in, uh, in, in Oklahoma City where uh, the athletic programs were being cut from uh, the different schools. And so uh, the fields that were out back of the schools got uh, overrun and all that kind of stuff. So we had a chance to come in and say, okay, it's important to have, you know, uh, athletic programs and let's, let's uh, do something that can get that um, started again. So we had the opportunity to do that. And the same is true for science. You know, uh, a lot of that uh, was cut from the curriculum, and the kids don't have the opportunity. And so when we started to think, I think our first one was we did a test in 10 schools, you know, just to see if the, that would make a difference. And, uh, you know, it had a, had a wonderful distance. You know, I'm not a science person. I'm a math guy. Uh, and so I can understand some of the math the things. But the science kits and all that kind of stuff that we put down in front of the kids, it's amazing to see how fast their little minds work and how they get uh, into building things and moving things. And it's that kind of exposure that leads to learning in the next level and then learning at the next level uh, like that. So we had really good success. So now I think we've, what was the number on the STEMs? We're up to 261. 260, yeah. And that's just gathered a real good momentum. And it's not too dissimilar than building the fields. It's just uh, when you had success dealing with kids in one area, you want to say, how can we help kids in another area? And it became a natural fit for us, and uh, and and we're having great success. It's hot all over the country now, so yeah. we're moving in that direction. When, when you look at you know 1.2 million kids this year through your life skills programming, the parks and the STEM centers, you think about that. I mean, in, in your dad's name, uh, Cal Ripken Senior. Yeah, let's go over those numbers again. 1.2 million kids million this kids year this alone. Year alone. Through the, through the combination of life skills programming, the parks that have been uh, built, and the STEM centers, which are growing rapidly. And that's over 11 million kids since the inception it, of There's a little irony in, in those numbers because dad kept his baseball camp to a minimum number of people so <laughs> he could have hands-on, you know, so it, he didn't want to have all these people where he'd have to spend a little time with, with a lot of people. He wanted to spend a lot of time with a, with a, a number of people. Really and so right. it's kind of interesting. So when I think about him... If he was looking at us right now, he would say, uh, he goes, you guys are getting too big for your britches, you know, or uh, let's make sure we don't leave, leave anyone, uh, anyone behind. And I think a lot of our thinking has been that way. Let's, let's see how we can help these kids. Cause you, you can have a strategy to say, let's help as many kids as we can. Let's, let's push that 1.2 number up. 
but uh, you might be um, thin in your help. Sure. Um, but now the question we're really asking ourselves, how can we help them in a deeper sense? How can we continue to help them? How can we get them through school? How can we uh, get them to college? Right. You know, and then even we help, we use baseball, but then how, how can we use other forms of uh, curriculum to reach those kids? So I think we're doing a good job of thinking how we can help them deeper. And that, that goes back to more dad's uh dad's hand on hands on really wanting to help them in a meaningful way deeper engagement but yeah, I th- that's, right. De- well, that's right but also i think you've, you've strategically partnered with people around the country mm-hmm. uh in every community and every in every different type of philanthropy that you, you've done so I, I feel like the numbers are huge they are astronomical but they're also they, there's a lot of detail and there's a lot of effort in each community uh that represents it uh uh like like your dad would want i believe oh, sure which is really focus on uh on, on really making sure you're affecting, you know, the, the, the people that you're trying to affect in a positive way and in a meaningful way without it being diluted. So just from what I've seen from the foundation is just that partnership, that partnership model that you have is really effective. Yeah. As I said earlier, the, uh, the thing that I like the most is we don't have an ego. We don't need to yeah. take the credit. We don't need to pound our chest. We just want to help. Yeah. And if you want to help, um, and in many cases, We've tried to uh, reach out to other athletes in uh, those areas that have influence in those areas, and if uh, we would put their name on the uh, on the building, that'd be fine. Yeah, <laughs> but we don't have to have our name on everything, um, and uh, and so that's worked out really well. Is that uh, we've we've uh, started to get people to come to us and say, "How can we help you?" That's right. Yeah, that's just phenomenal, and uh, we're just proud to be a small part of it. So uh, thank you for letting us participate and and helping uh, make some of that difference uh, in our own little way. But um, there's so much to be proud of with the foundation. Uh, and I do want to mention that if, if people want to get involved, if they want to see more about it, just go to ripkinfoundation.org and you can see everything that's going on and you can participate in some of the events. You can donate. So we definitely ask our listeners to go ahead and take a look at ripkinfoundation.org. Um, but Cal, there's so much to be proud of. What's next for the foundation? Hmm. Um, again, just taking a, a deeper look, a deeper dive in uh, how we can uh, help. I mean, some of the ideas. I mean, just continuing on with the path that you're on is enough. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, and, and the great part about it is that, um, um, you know, uh, building fields, again, we followed our, uh, our board members back to their areas of influence, um, and that was the way that we started all. But now there's a lot of these fields that people get to, to, to look at, and then they, uh, their areas saying, well, how do we do that? And then they start to come to us. And so, you know, not that we're able to handpick, but we, uh, we have opportunities coming to us where we can do do just that. But I think we, we should still continue to look at, you know, how, how do we get scholarships to get them through uh, high school? Or how do we get scholarships to, uh, um, to colleges? Be- and then even a small thing, when you end up going out in the workforce, um, you know, you, you, uh, uh, you go on interviews, you get dressed up and all that kind of stuff. Things that we take for granted when you have good support in your house that, that, that you're told how to do these things. Absolutely. You know, these kids don't, you know, and so they need that sort of advice. and, and Life so, Skills 101. So yeah. ma- matching mentors, continuing to ma- match mentors with the kids through our programs have been, have been very good. So we're going to continue to look at that. You know, cha- changing around the conversation a little bit, and this is just something I love to ask 
people, you know, especially people that have had really very different careers earlier in their life and then transition into something different. How does what you did earlier in your life, and in, in your case, professional baseball, how did how did you transition? How was that helpful when you got into sort of the business world and the and the foundation world and, and the life you're living now? How did all that work for you? And what did you learn from when you were younger and so on? It, it is interesting is that you, uh, you, you put so much effort into the baseball piece. I mean, and you really don't – if you think back on it, it goes all the way back to eight. And then especially uh, all your summers are filled with playing baseball. You're, uh, nowadays, I think with travel teams and then kids playing 130 games, it's almost worse yeah. you know, uh, for them. Um, we played other sports and did, uh, did those sorts of things. But um, the amount of time you put in, um, and I wouldn't call it a sacrifice, but you give up, you choose to do things and you let other things go by. You don't really learn how to do. So I, I was able to be one of the lucky ones. I made it. I played 21 years in the big leagues. And now when I look at it now, I've been out of baseball longer than I played in the big leagues. So it's been a little over 21 years out. My last year was 01. Um, when, I, when I was facing retirement, um, you know, at 41 years old, I retired from baseball at 41. So I played yeah. longer than most everybody, um, maybe with the exception of Nolan Ryan and a couple other people. But I got the, the, the chance to be a kid all the way up to 41. And then all of a sudden at 41 years old, you're now – you're not going to retire and stay in your pajamas all day or play golf and all that. You, you still want to do something. So you had an op opportunity for the second phase of your life or phase of your career. And I kept thinking, damn, I've spotted everyone else 20 some years in the business world. And now I got to catch up. And so I did start to lean on some of the things that I learned, you know, to have success in baseball. Um, dad, dad really believed that um, baseball um, is life and life is baseball, you know, in some ways. And so you can start to think about your work ethic, for example. You know, the, the success that you have is that you got to work at it and you got to put in the, and baseball players and athletes know that when they practice, you know, it ends up in, in results. And so that was the first thing when you go into to business is you just can't show up and expect something to happen. You got to work at it and you got to put your time in. Extraordinary effort, right? Yeah, extraordinary yeah. If you're effort. Gonna be, if you're going to be really good at it. And so that, that was easy for me in, in some ways because uh, that was what I was, uh, what I grew up. And then I started to think, what are other things that are similar, you know, that I learned from baseball? It's, it's, I had this rich baseball life. What are the things that I naturally learned that I can apply? Um, and one of the more interesting thoughts is that in baseball, we talk about uh, building uh, chemistry, right? So chemistry is uh, something that's really taught. You have talented players that come together, talent rules, and then uh, how do you blend them together to have success? In business, I noticed right away that it was uh, culture. How do you build a culture? Now, talent still matters. You gotta have the right people around the table and you gotta have smart people uh, to do things. Um, but you have an opportunity to, to, to pick and choose. Like in baseball, you're, there's drafts and people are, um, they're picked because they can throw hard, they can run, they're all over the country, they're all over the world and they're put together and you, uh, you have to try to, to, to blend them together. Um, I would say the Orioles organization years and years and years ago when my dad was part of it, they did both. At the big league level, they, they uh, blended their, their chemistry to produce winning, but they also produced a culture in who they drafted, um, uh, what, what were the personality characteristics of the people they drafted? If they found somebody that fit their mold, they kept them. If they found someone that didn't, then they traded them for someone else. So to think about your workforce and think about your success, um, building a culture is, is really important and, and have, have some sort of direction and some sort of meaning that uh, people can hold on to. I mean, all, all the things about what do you pay somebody or do you let somebody go that's not doing a job, all these things that I think I struggled a little bit with because I didn't have much experience in there. 
But then the end of the day, it is it is building the right people and then counting on those people to, uh, with the vision that you put out there to have success. Well, you had a 21 year professional sports career, and we've had all kinds of conversations with people, both here and we've been private all the time. But sports is usually the basis for a lot of their success. Many ex athletes, even high, just high school athletes, I mean, they just learned how to work in a team. They learned how to build chemistry, all the things you just said, the work ethic, and so on. So it's it's a common denominator every time, and uh, it's good to hear it coming from you. And anybody who listens to this, I would say that work ethic is the key. If you're going to be great, you're going to work real hard, right? And we, we all try every day. And uh, some days are easier than others. I, I, would, I would say there was a lesson I learned. Opportunity was abundant to me. And then you could chase opportunity all over the place. And it's much better to narrow your focus and really focus on um, what's important. So anyway, um, for a while, we were chasing things in all different directions. And we ran our, ourselves a little thin. Post-baseball, we're talking Post-baseball. Yes. Um, and although... Baseball was defined pretty clearly what you need to do, especially as an individual and maybe as a team. Because most of the time you're looking, I got to be in shape, I got to uh, put my reps in, I got to swing, I got to, I got to get at bats. Um, you have your it, weekly routine, that exactly. You go but in business, uh, you know, you had this wide open, or to me, this uh, this this big white sheet of paper that you could kind of go in any direction without much, um, without somebody to tell you that you're doing it right or wrong. And I was always curious and uh, wanted to do this, do that. And then once you send your teams down all these different paths, you don't have a chance to really um, uh, get to the success you want. So once we started to narrow our our uh, approach, we started to get the results that, that we needed. But uh, that was a good lesson to learn. I bet. I bet. So a question about youth sports. Just want to get your thoughts. I have five, four sons and, and a daughter. I have two boys heading to Michigan to play lacrosse. And I've always tried really hard to keep them involved in as many sports as possible up until they absolutely had to choose. And you see so much focus at a really young age. My understanding of you, I've heard, I've heard some pretty epic stories about basketball and all kinds of other uh, things that you love in addition to baseball. And I know you played a lot of sports growing up. I mean, with t- how does today's youth and what do today's parents do with the sort of environment we're in on, on, on being multi-sport athletes and being the best athlete you can be and ending up in a place when, and, and when is the right time to focus and how to focus? I know this is, that's a lot of questions at one time, but love to get, get the thought from somebody who is a multi-sport athlete, went, went very, very far with it, and then also uh, now really focuses on baseball. So um, I know we've had this conversation before about uh, parents and kids, and the parents play a really nice role in, uh, in developing their kids you know, and, uh, and supporting them in ways, but they also can put a lot of pressure on the kids. And so one thing, one piece of advice I would give to all parents is try to think um, about how to take pressure off your kids as opposed to applying the pressure. That's not really in our sweet spot, Mark. That's not really what we do well. Actually, I'm on kid number five, so I'm actually at the point where I'm like, do you want to go to the game or not? Practice is optional. No, just kidding. And so I think, but, I yeah, think I funny, get, I get the point, in, our, yeah. in our tournaments that we see, yeah. you know, the parents sometimes are an, an over... Yes. An overzealous parent, you know, uh, is some of the problems where they're screaming and yelling and they react and they create pressure out there. And I like to tell the story when I look up and see uh, grandparents who come, have come along to watch their kids and their grandkids in the tournaments with yes. their with their um, uh, mom and dad. And they're sitting out there. Some are reading a book. Some have the newspaper up. And then they look over the newspaper when uh, Joey is up to bat and they look at him and Joey looks at him and he waves, you know, okay. And they, then they go back to reading the paper again. Like, uh, you know, um, they're there to support, but they're not there to, to, to increase the pressure. 
Um, and so I like that as a, as a general, um, be aware of, uh, of how much pressure you're putting on the kids because kids need to love the sport. You know, if you really have a talented kid, they need to love it to, to, to succeed in, uh, when the competition gets really tough, when they, when they have to make uh, those sort of decisions on their own, you want them to have the love of the game to fall back on so they keep doing it. Yeah, just like life. You need yeah, to be passionate about the exactly things you're doing. Exactly right. Yep. So your, your question about multi-sport uh, um, athletes, I think if you're a multi-sport athlete, um, you develop your athleticism, um, uh, and it's challenged by other sports. I mean, basketball makes your feet quicker, you're explosive, you jump up and down, there's an endurance uh, factor. I played soccer, which uh, was really good with your agility and your balance because you're running all over the place, turning, kicking. You're not using your hands uh, in most of the game. So uh, I'm a firm believer that you build your athleticism, and then then you start to focus on the one that you're really good at. And I would say somewhere around high school that starts to happen, you know, yeah. 15, 16 years old. Um, and in the ideal world, you'd want your kids to to have an exposure to many different sports um, uh, to get the benefit from from those. But if you have a kid that just loves one, then you got to go along with it and, and kind of push them out there. Um, I don't have a I don't have a problem with that, but I think there's added benefit. To uh, to playing all the all the sports, um, you know, in in the beginning, and then developing your athleticism overall to apply to that one sport. Yeah, um, I think right. I think that's good. And some parents have trouble; they get pressure from the travel team saying you got to commit, you know, uh, to fall ball and to spring ball, and you can't play these other sports. And the parents are scared that they don't they won't have a spot on that travel team. But I would advise uh, parents if you have a special kid that's good. You, you have leverage <laughs> and you could say, you know, uh, yes, he'd like to play for your team. Um, but we'd also like to play basketball and, uh, and football. Is that, is that doable? And if somebody's recruiting your kid and your kid's uh, good at that, that stage, you'll be surprised how, how, how they can soften the rules. And, uh, that might help the other parents and the other kids to, uh, to allow their kids to play other sports too. That's great advice for parents. I appreciate that. I wish I would have met you 15 years ago. But in all seriousness, no, we, we've all, uh, my whole my whole friend group really has pushed so hard to keep the kids in as many things as possible, but it just becomes very challenging as they get older. A lot of obligations, but that's great advice. No doubt. And, and Cal, this was awesome and a lot of fun as well. It's incredible to see someone who's obviously so famous and accomplished uh, in sport uh, also then go on to spend so much time helping others. It's really uh, an inspiration and thanks for all that you do, and, and thanks so much for your time, for being with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Cal. It's been a pleasure. It, it, it's fun to go back and examine your life uh, and, and try to think why you were successful or how you were successful. So I, I've enjoyed this conversation. Oh, that's great. great. A thank huge you. thank you to Cal Ripken Jr. for being our guest here today and for all the work he's doing in the region and nationally through the foundation. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. As always, we'd love to hear from the audience. So if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic you'd like to hear, just hit us up on social media at Weller Development on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. I'm Matt Rienzo, and he's Mark Weller. Keep building, people.